In this episode, we'll be exploring Sherlock Holmes's dartboard. We'll be looking for murders in a small English village. I am afraid to have to say I've never, never experienced a murder. And we'll discover some of the frightening experiences that can occur when looking for ghosts. As soon as I got in there, I had a choking feeling, like someone was trying to strangle me. I'm Hugh Collingbourne, and this is Wildest Britain. This is how Dr. Watson describes Dartmoor in the famous Sherlock Holmes novel, The Hound of the Baskervilles. I drew aside my curtains before I went to bed and looked out from my window. It opened upon the grassy space which lay in front of the hall door. Beyond, two copses of trees moaned and swung in a rising wind. A half-moon broke through the rifts of racing clouds. In its cold light, I saw beyond the trees a broken fringe of rocks and the long, low curve of the melancholy moor. The melancholy moor, that's what Watson calls Dartmoor. On a cold autumn or winter's night, there is even today something melancholy, something dark and brooding, something a bit... Well, a bit unsettling about Dartmoor. But that all changes in summer. On a bright, hot day in July or August, Dartmoor can, well, it can seem seem surprisingly jolly, really. Green and rolling, occasional silvery sparkles from numerous little streams and waterfalls. But there's no getting away from the fact that Dartmoor has a somewhat forbidding reputation. Now, that's no doubt partly due to its wildness, It's stuck right in the middle of Devon and covers about 368 square miles, much of it uncultivated. Well, that is unless you count the hardy sheep and ponies that graze upon it. In addition, the moor is used by the British military to simulate, I suppose, inhospitable areas in other parts of the world. Well, I'm hoping that's what they do and not just train to lay siege to small West Country farms. In fact, Dartmoor has been used to train soldiers for about 200 years, and often as you walk across the moor, you'll hear the sound of rapid gunfire in the near distance. And you always have to be careful to avoid the areas marked off by red flags indicating danger. And then there's the prison. Dartmoor Prison is a fairly grim Victorian building close to the village of Princetown. The prison itself appears in a number of films, and stories, and an escaped prisoner also features in the most famous of all Dartmoor novels, The Hound of the Baskervilles. Now, I went out walking on Dartmoor yesterday, and I'm glad to say that I came across neither soldiers, nor escaped prisoners, nor hounds, except, that is, for my own two dogs, and they're two hulking, great, soft and fluffy Pyrenean mountain dogs. It's a beautiful day out on Dartmoor today. Blue skies, white clouds, sun shining, quite crisp cold day. To give you some idea of what Dartmoor looks like, it's sort of a rolling landscape. It's got some fairly small hills. We're coming down into a valley at the moment. The grass is, is quite close cropped because there's quite a lot of sheep around and I can see also some some ponies in the distance. There's quite a few ponies that uh, live on Dartmoor. Uh, the 
ground is often covered by low-growing gorse. The gorse, I don't really, really know how it manages to get root here at all. It's uh, obviously not got very far to root down into because once gorse gets growing, they can grow into quite big bushes. But these are really, they're only about a foot high anyway. I'm coming down as I say into the valley now, there's a stream at the bottom of this valley. I'm just walking along by the banks of a stream at the moment. Very cool, clear, very clear water, tumbling over rocks into small cascades and waterfalls. One of the fictional features of Dartmoor, which Sir Arthur Conan Doyle created for his novel, is the Grimpen Mire. And that's a sort of a deadly peat bog with all the properties of quicksand. In the novel, the mire regularly takes the lives of ponies that are foolish enough to wander onto it. And it isn't averse to bumping off any people who do the same. Now, I've walked a great deal on Dartmoor, and I have on occasion found myself knee-deep in sticky mud or peat bogs, of which there are plenty. But I must say that I've never come across one as deep or as deadly as the Grimpen Mire. This is how the Mire is introduced to us in Doyle's novel. That is the great Grimpen Mire. A false step yonder means death to man or beast. Only yesterday I saw one of the moor ponies wander into it. He never came out. I saw his head for quite a long time craning out of the bog hole. But it sucked him down at last. Even in dry seasons it is a danger to cross it, but after these autumn rains it is an awful place. And then again, this is how Watson describes it. Rank reeds and lush, slimy water plants sent an odour of decay and a heavy miasmic vapour into our faces, while a false step plunged us more than once thigh-deep into the dark, quivering mire which shook for yards in soft undulations around our feet. Its tenacious grip plucked at our heels as we walked, and when we sank into it, it was as if some malignant hand was tugging us down into those obscene depths, so grim and purposeful was the clutch in which it held us. I've done a bit of research to try to find out if any such mires really exist on Dartmoor. It appears that an area called the Fox Tor was the inspiration for Grimpen Mire. The tors of Dartmoor are low, rock-capped hills, rocky granite outcrops that stick up from the surrounding grasslands. And there are a great many such tors on Dartmoor. As far as I can see, there is nothing especially remarkable about the fox tor, apart from the fact that there's a fairly large peat bog called the fox tor mires nearby. The mires are certainly nasty things to encounter if you're out walking in very bad weather, in dense fog, or if the ground is flooded, and I suppose it is conceivable that they might indeed be quite dangerous. But while there are a few folk tales about lethal mires on the moors, I don't think any have quite the reputation for mass death and destruction which Doyle gave to the Grimpen Mire. change of mood as we look at life in a small English village with my good friend Danielle.
Today I've got a guest, uh, Danielle, who lives in the local village, and she's going to tell us about life in a typical English village. Uh, welcome to the show, Danielle. And so you were born where? You weren't born in Devon, that's for sure. No, I was born in France. And tell us about what sort of village, was it a village or a town you were born in? I was born in a town, but my family had uh, roots in in the in a, in villages. Uh, in my family, I had farmers and uh, blacksmiths and things like that. So I know, and I've been living in village uh, before I came I came to Heartland. So, how is life in an English village different from life in a French village? I've I'm not too sure. Uh, I think in an English village, well, in Heartland anyway, in an English village, people are more um, interested in in each other. And, uh, Does that mean they're nosy? No, no, no. That's not what I mean. I think they they follow they follow you and they, they are quite helpful that's what i found in the village if you need something you have always somebody somebody there now for somebody who hasn't lived in an english village the impression you get is from midsummer murders on tv <laughs> and from agatha christie and it seems that in all fictional english villages People are getting murdered on a regular basis. Well, I am afraid to have to say I've never, never experienced a murder in Heartland. I know you would like to have one, but, but not, it does murders. not happen but they yet. All have murders. It does not happen and yet. Te- television and in, in all these little villages, they always seem to have you know sort of strange things going on, deep dark secrets. Well, uh, as you, as we say, Heartland is at the end of the road, so I suppose the murderers have not reached Heartland yet. All right, so there's still a chance. You still got a chance. Yeah, to be yeah, mis- yeah. So you still got a chance to be the Mrs. Marple who goes around and solves the. This is what I'm waiting for, really. Well, I. You know, I'm always telling you. That I'm I waiting know. for you to. No, 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 it does not happen yet. You have to. You have to wait. Oh, okay. So. Gives people some idea of what the countryside around here is like. So it's quite near to the sea. Yes, we are, oh, I can't say, about uh, a mile roughly from the sea, is yeah. it? Yes, something mm. like that. It's all surrounded by the sea, isn't it? I mean, yeah. really, there's like yeah. a peninsula and it's yeah. sea so on all sides. we got the sea and we have got very nice little valleys. and. Uh, so you go out walking quite a lot. I do, yes, I do. So okay. why? What do you see? I mean, what what is there to see? Oh, birds for a start, and the change of the edges of the plants and the flowers uh, according to the seasons. So wherever I go, it's never the same. Even even a week after, everything is changing all the time. Have you learned the, the, the names of all the birds in English now? Because sometimes you know more of the, the names in English than in, in French. I think. I. No, with the birds, I think I was pretty good in French. But the plants, I have learned the name of the plant. I know certainly much more plants with, by their English name than I do by their French names. Are there any English names of plants or animals that you particularly like? As a word? Yeah. Mm, yes, I like dandelion. <laughs> I think because it's such a uh, 
bad name in French, pissenlit, that uh, Dandelay on I always find it was, it was very good. Uh, for, those, for those who don't speak French, why is that a bad Pissenlit means to pee in your bed. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, just because, because the plant is, uh, how do you call it? Uh, diuretic. Diuretic, that yeah. it, it's true. It is. Yeah. And bird, oh, I don't know. I like blackbird as well. It's much, it's much better than merle. Merle is not a very nice name for a blackbird. So I remember talking with you some time ago when there was some, we planted some small trees, and there were there were rodents eating oh, the roots, yeah. and we had a great discussion about yeah. which they were. And we decided they they were the they were the, the campagnol, which are the, the voles, aren't they? Yeah, they are the voles. Rather yeah. than we, we the shrews, which are musaraigne. Right. <laughs> I so think, the, shrew, the shrews I think were innocent. You, yeah, I think you got you got the campagnol, you got the voles. Yeah. Are they still around? Well, I don't know. The trees are a bit bigger now, so I'm hoping no, they probably okay. still are. But we we see quite a lot of um, hunting birds, buzzards, and things around. So I think they must be yeah. going after yes. be taking refuge. Have in you the trees got now. some holes around here? Some what? Holes. Owls. Owls. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Boo! Yes. The one with my boo. <laughs> yes, we, we have ours. Do, Do you we? hear them? Oh, yeah. A lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, they, uh, we don't hear them in the village. That's yeah. why I'm asking. No, I think because where I live is all surrounded by trees, and I think they just have probably more roosting places for them. I heard them in Clovelly, because I spent the night in Clovelly with my grandchildren, and uh, I hear the, the owl, owls in Clovelly. We don't hear them in the village. Yeah. So what birds do you get? You get starlings quite a lot. Oh, you? yeah. Well, less this year. I don't know what happened. Well, we got starlings, visiting starlings, because they, they migrate, because they, they are going soon, I think. They are going in the middle of March, usually. Mm. And uh, we got all, all the, the ordinary birds. Uh, and do you, do you get foxes coming to the village? Yes. Yes, I've seen foxes in the village. Yes. They steal the rubbish or anything from there? They visit the gardens. People see them in their gardens. Mm. I don't know why. No, it's no rubbish in the village. It's very, keep very, no, very they, well clean. No, but they must have rubbish in the bins. I mean, do the foxes go in? They might, I don't know, but um, I've seen one or two in the main street, so they, they might have been after the rubbish. But people report that they have seen them in their gardens. Yeah. So I don't know what they're after when they come. If you, if you heard the last um, podcast where I was talking to Freddie Valentine yeah. about ghosts and things. Are, yeah. are, are there any ghosts around here? Are there any haunted ah. places? Well, not as far as I am aware, unfortunately. I'd like if it was some somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think... There's no I'm strange goings-on, no... In the village, no, I don't think so. Clovelly, I know a few. So what, what's, what's, what's in Clovelly? Uh, Clovelly is the crazy cat uh, house. Apparently, you can hear her... Uh, because she lost her, her husband and uh, her, her cottage is... Just by the sea. What's it called? Crazy? Crazy Cat. She was called Cat, Catty. Oh, right. So the cottage is called Crazy Cat. Oh. And it's just, just on the beach, just on, on the harbour. And people say that some nights you can hear the air uh, you, I mean, you wailing. Lived, you, you lived there for a yeah. while. I never heard there, no. Mm. I never. 
What about in, in France? Were there any, you know, come across any hauntings, anything? That... <sighs> no, but place where I have, yes, is Lundy Island. Hmm. That's what? Well, it's somebody, some, yeah, it's it definitely some, some, some woman, I think she is a she, in uh, Milkum house. Hmm. Milkum was, uh, nobody has been able to tell me, but uh, I'm not the only one who has felt somebody there when I was working there. Hmm. It was the house of the, the owner of the island, and somebody must have happened, some Something so. so Lundy for for again for people who don't know the area Lundy oh, is, yes. it's a it's an island that's just off the north coast it's between yeah. Devon and, and Wales it's yes it's, off the north it's coast in the Devon. Bristol Channel yeah and why why were, you, why were you on Lundy because I did work there I mean uh, Lundy is uh, owned by the Landmark Trust oh. so all the people who live there uh, are employed by the Landmark but, Trust but I mean it's really is the, the island is really cut off I mean you can't oh, it just is, yes. So, so, what, what's it like living on an island? How do you? I mean, how do you get electricity? How do you get water? How do you get all the things? We got. A, we had a generator. Yeah. And uh, it's some. It's some water on 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 Lundy. All right. It can be uh, difficult sometimes when all the tourists come in the in the summer. We have to ask people to restrain from using too much water. Yeah. But it's, it's water on the island. And how do you get across to London? There's a boat that goes across, It's a boat that goes across uh, in the summer every day. And uh, it takes two hours from Bideford. It can be very, very rough. Uh, it's a uh, helicopter as well. With us, uh, have you been in a helicopter? Yes, once. Did you like it? No. <laughs> No, no, I do prefer the boat, to be yeah. honest. I feel I feel secure on a boat. I don't feel secure in a helicopter. Uh, is there any special wildlife on, on Lundy? On Lundy, they have got uh, some deer, special deer, small deer. We have All the, the animals on Lundy have been introduced by somebody yeah. at some time. Yeah. And they have some kind of goats as well. But around, around the shore, do you get... Uh, Yes, seals and oh yes, plenty of seals. Plenty. It's a big colony of seals. And yeah. uh, what about the birds? The, the puffins on Monday? The ravens. Well, really? puffins. Yes, got yeah. puffins. But they are. It's less and less puffins. Oh yeah. Because Why is that? because uh, they are uh, feeding on the sand hills yeah. and they are getting scarce. So right. uh, but it's big ravens and they are. They are very beautiful, yeah. beautiful birds. They yeah. are around. I used to get bird watchers coming out to Lundy, didn't Oh, you? yes. <laughs> yes, that was very funny. The story, because one day we had, what was it? It was, it was a kind of very, very small, uh, a bit like a sparrow. I can't remember the name. Bref, he should not have been there. He, he lost his way, and it was there, and it was very rare. So we had people coming from Scotland, uh, getting chartering boats. Uh, by the, the hundred, they were all there. So the first day, yes, he was there on the lawn in front of the pub. I think for two days, we could see the bird there. And the, the following third day... They all arrived, no bird there. 
And in, in the evening, the barmaid came to see me and said, I think I know what happened to the bird. I said, oh, yeah, where, where, where is it? She said, Charlie had it. Charlie was the cat. Oh, no. That's terrible. <laughs> We did not say anything. Nobody knew. So, so bird watchers, if you're looking for the bird, now you know the secret. I can't remember how he was Charlie called. Charlie the this, cat. No, Charlie the cat. I know Charlie Bell the bird. I don't know. I can't remember the name. It was a very small bird. Well, it's even bird. rarer now if Charlie the cat has it. If you have any comments or messages, you can contact the show by writing to me, Hugh Collingbourne, at hughcoll, H-U-W-C-O-L, at gmail.com. And now, a Pyrenean mountain dog drinking water on Dartmoor. That was... A Pyrenean mountain dog drinking water on Dartmoor. And now, into the dark side with Freddy Valentine. So we're talking to Freddie Valentine again. Uh, Freddie's a psychic investigator. He's spoken to us before. He told us a bit last time about some of the seances he'd done. So to, today, perhaps, Freddie, you could tell us a bit more about your seances. First of all, is it important where you, you do the seance? Do you, do you look for somewhere that's more uh, psychic or more haunted? Or, or, or can you do a seance anywhere? I mean, you can pretty much do one anywhere, to be honest. But, um, but an area that's got a lot of history or a lot of activity, or lots happen there, is where I tend to get the most activity. I mean, every sort of plot of land in the UK, something's happened on it, or someone's lived there, or someone's died there, you know, so there's going to be energies wherever you go. Um, I mean, example, once I was hired to do, like, a, um, a party, someone's birthday party, and they, their birthday was around Halloween, so they wanted, like, a, a psychic night there, so it was tarot readings and Ouija board sessions, and... Uh, this person was like a clothes, like a fashion designer, and the mm. back of their garden had this big sort of like it's a big sort of like, I wouldn't say shed, but it's like bigger than that. It's where they like a, a, a I think where they designed their clothes in there. So this big room, like a, like a shed, but it's a, a bigger, it's like a female version of a shed. There's no train sets in there, <laughs> no train sets in there, but a lot of sewing machines, you know. So we did the seance in there, but the, well, the weird thing was this this Ouija board, it went crazy. We had spirits from all sorts of eras coming through. Everything is really active, you know. And I thought yeah. it's a bit strange in someone's house. Right. How you're getting so much activity? So, but so then there, what are, I found there are there are some places that are, you're going to get more activity than other places. The location does matter. It does matter. It does help. You know, it's like when I this this lady when I found out, I thought, why is there so much activity? It turns out it's a graveyard over the road, a very right. old graveyard, and that's why we was getting so much activity. Yeah. Um, but you can do them practically anywhere. But you get more activity in some places than others. So, so give us an idea. I mean, if I came to one of your seances, um, you've you set it up somewhere. It could be in a you know, like, like this this shed that you're describing, or sometimes you go to, to sort of, you know, old houses, especially places that yeah. you think are more sort of uh, psychically active, if you like, don't you? And you, so say I arrive somewhere, you've, you've, you've gone to a house, I open the door, I go in, what happens? What's the next thing that happens at a seance? 
what we generally do is there's two types. There's events where people hire me and I go to their house and I do something there, or ones where the, the public can come to. And that would be one which you would come to. It would be, I'd pick a certain location uh, where there's some history to it, do you know what I mean? Or there's some activity around there, or there's something, we can try and contact the spirits that worked and live in that area. Um, if I if I contact people's personal family members and stuff like this, we use that. It just becomes a spiritual church. Mm. And these evenings aren't really about that. They're about people that have never experienced it before coming along and seeing what it's all about. But yeah, then you, you what, go into the room where the seance takes place, and what, what do you do? Do you, do you sit around the table, or do you? I mean, is, is it light? Is it dark? Or, or how? What, what you know? What really well, goes on? Yeah, well, what we do initially, the whole evening's program to build up the sounds is like the climax of things, you know. Mm. So what we do is we, we initially start off with a ghost walk around the area. So we'll go for a walk around the area and see the buildings there, what happened there, and get told about it. Mm. I have a historian that works with me who, who tells the details. So people know roughly what goes on and, and what we're to expect to come through. And then when they come back, we have a, lot of, a room, we have two rooms set up usually. One is for the sounds and one's for the, 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 the stuff we do beforehand. Mm. What I tend to do is I, I demonstrate um, different types of spirit communication. Uh, EVP I, I have, which is like a radio tuned to a white noise frequency, could pick up voices of spirits. So, is, is this a, is actually some so a bit of electronic equipment that you bring along? This is some. Well, what I've got, I've got a normal radio which has been modified just to lock into the white noise frequencies. Right. Uh, I mean, when I first discovered EVP was in in the seventies. There was a, a magazine called The Unexplained. I don't even remember. It's like a part work right. magazine. And with the first issue, there came a flexi disc with it. And this Russian chap called Konstantin Raudove, um, he he discovered that by recording a certain frequency you could get spirit voices coming through. And there's recordings mm. on this floppy, this flexi disc mm. of um, these spirit voices, you know, and it's, I was fascinated by that. So it's something I became a bit, very interested in, you know, almost obsessed with, you know, mm. and, I, and, I, and mm. I did a few experiments myself with that. Um, so we let people experience that and see if anything comes through. Um, we do work with pendulums, which involves different spirit communication. Um, we have a Ouija board session, which can last up to an hour and a half. Mm. Uh, because we have different groups of people coming on there, we get three or four people have a go, and then something else comes up. So, so Some I mean, people just, so just explain a bit about the Ouija board. <laughs> you know, not not everybody will know exactly how this works, and we might have seen it in in films and so. But you have a you have a board, and it's got um, letters laid out on it, and and yes and no, and and then you you have a. Pl um, Something you put your, your fingers on, planchette, yeah, which is like well, a little well, little pointing device, isn't it? That's so, right. Well, mine, mine's slightly different because what it is is, um, well, there's two things that are different about mine. I, I used to, I used to use a wine glass upturned. You can use a wine glass upturned, hmm. uh, and you put your fingers on the rim and it moves around. But um, I had them smashed before with spirits, and, and also I don't want anyone to get harmed. So we use a wooden planchette. The planchette I use is, is a Victorian one. Hmm. Uh, most of the stuff I have are, are sourced antiques because I, I exhibit weird artifacts like shrunken heads and vampire hunting kits as well. So I buy very old stuff. But my Ouija board is slightly different because what it is is I, rather than have a board itself, I've got cards with the letters and numbers on them. Yeah. Um, and I can have a Ouija board as big as I like. So if I get a table and I put the cards in a circular pattern and then the numbers i can have like 10 20 people all on there so it's not, um, it's not actually a, a board that you bring along you use the table and you you set out your cards and, and i'll make it into a ouija board yeah right, basically yeah, yeah. but the thing is what's happened in the past we've had some really weird situations come through because when you remember you're talking to spirits some of them are from years ago um some of them are from 200 years ago some of them aren't very literate you know remember mm. in the uk at a certain time it's only sort of rich people that you could read and write mm. so you get people spelling things very basically or very confused spellings and sometimes we've had things in old english um, and the weirdest thing we had once come through, a spirit was talking in gibberish. And I said, this is just talking nonsense. <laughs> but a lady put her hand up. She goes, no, that's German, she said. All right. And she'd come over and conversed with this spirit in German. So yeah. we, you know, she was translating for us. But I thought, well, you know, the easiest way, if, you're, if you were in another country and you couldn't really speak the language, you could point at pictures, couldn't you? You could say, what do you want to eat? That. Where do you want to go there? 
you know, so we devised these cars with myself, with Dan Baines, who's an artist who I work with a lot, I do the podcast with. We devised these cars which have got symbols as well as letters and numbers on there. So, so what are the symbols? Um, there'd be a happy face, there'd be a sad face, there'd be water, there'd be a, a gun, there'd be an angel. Um, there'd be different types of things on there, you know. Mm. And the reason why, they're all designed so that they can, you can answer certain questions without spelling things out or being elongated, yeah. you know. So if you've got yes and no on there, you can say to them, how did you die? And it goes towards water. You can say, did you drown? Right. Yes. Yeah. So rather than spell like D-R-O-W, it's taken a long time, we can get more direct answers, you know. And mm. also, if they're not so good at spelling um, or, fight, or struggling to move the planchet, then it's easy for them to point to a picture. Hmm. You know, so how are you feeling? Are you And it tells you if you're happy, happy or sad, you know, and we have the numbers, explain how old they are, what year they died, that kind of thing. But they were all designed, the, the pictures on, on the cars, to, to cover a whole, uh, the most questions that you would ask a spirit. You know, if you were sat in a room with someone from 200 years ago, the question you would ask them, they're all within these pictures. Um, so it makes it very easy to do and, and quicker, particularly when people are doing it. It's not spelling out long words. It can take mm. a long time or they're struggling. So, so the of, pictures, of, all, of all the places you've done seances or you've, you've used a Ouija board, is, is there any one place that has been, you know, there've been more spirits or you've found it easier to contact? Is there, is there a most, uh, you know, is there a more, uh, I don't know if you call it a haunted place, but is, is there somewhere where, you know, is, is just easier to, to make these sorts of contacts? Yeah, well, there's two particular, I mean, most times the regional session, I've always had stuff come through, but the two weirdest ones, there's two weird events that I've had. Um, one of them wasn't, it wasn't actually a, a public uh, event as such. It was when I was younger. I was very much into urban exploration, which is mm. where you find a very abandoned building, um, you know, an interesting building, and you'd break into it and look around to take pictures or to see what it's about, you know, um, old hospitals, you know what I mean, places like that. And the one, of my, one that's quite well known was a place, it's, in, it's called Cane Hill uh, Asylum. And this was like uh, an abandoned, sort of, I suppose, for want of a better word, a lunatic asylum, they would have called it in the day. And this is uh, where? Cane Hill? Which is where, Cain, where is that? Uh, Cane Hill, is, is, it's in Coulston, which is in, it's outside of London. It's uh, near Croydon. All right. Now, it's quite famous because um, there was David Bowie's half-brother was there, who was schizophrenic. Uh, Michael Caine's mother and Charlie Chaplin's mother. All right. Now, on the front of one, the cover of The Man Who Sold the World, David Bowie album, um, there's one cover, which is a cartoon, I think it's the American cover, it's a cartoon cover there's a mm. picture of cane hill like a drawing of oh. it like there's a, because there's a very famous clock tower a very imposing victorian clock tower at the front of it mm. and and it's also it's quite well known because there's a lot of suicides there there's a train station nearby and a lot of the people just escape from there and put their heads on the track and, and die yeah. and that's how david bowie's half brother died you know so it's very mm. a lot of sinister stuff there you know um but we decided once to to, to break into this place because it was abandoned at the time you know it's closed down it was a normal psychiatric hospital until i think it was in the early 90s but we managed to we wanted to do a sound so we want to take a ouija board in there and see what would come through mm. now we broke into it and, and as soon as i got in there i had a choking feeling like someone was trying to strangle me and it was horrific. There was all the treatment rooms. It's a very dark and forbidding place, you know. But we got a lot of strange things on the Ouija board, violent, um, you know, messages towards us. Um, the Ouija board kept falling off. It's a, it's a wooden Ouija board we used rather than a table. Mm. Um, but it kept shooting across the floor, mm. hitting people in the face. I was picked up and thrown across the room. Um, we got into one room, which I believe was a treatment room. I think it must have been an ECT room. Mm. Um, and I felt like... My, my skin tingling there uh, it's a horrible feeling um, but I managed to steal a, a key from there like a, like a key for the treatment room which I've got in my collection of weird artefacts but it was such an intense there was so much activity there that we I couldn't stay there for long I had to get out because it wasn't pleasant activity right. um, it, it was people that were very disturbed and very upset 
you know yeah. so we'd obviously come in there most i assume people were broken there anyway to look around but we were actually actively trying to communicate with them uh, and it was like a big a rush forward do you know what i mean it's a yeah. bit like people yeah. queuing up waiting for a bus and they were rushed to get on it and that's what it was like and it's almost like i felt overwhelmed i'd say is the other word for it the yeah. other place was very haunted was i was hired to do this event it was in windsor right next to windsor castle uh, and it's, it was a, it was like a, a three-story building and it was like a very old restaurant it was um but the event they had there is run by a friend of is a witchcraft coven in windsor of witches and they said to me would you run some seances for us at this event so basically the bottom floor people had dinner they had a meal second mm. floor they had a tarot reading and the third floor they, had, they went to seance you know mm. um and there was like three seances in the evening we had to do there so we was using ouija balls and stuff like this but the room we looked at the history of it when we looked at the room itself there was an outline of a crucifix on there it's like as if something had been scratched off of there when we looked into the history of it, it turned out this had been used as a chapel arrest right. for people that lived the, the works of the castle, not royalty, but the people like servants and gardeners. Mm. They, they they laid their bodies out there, mm. and also it's used as like a holding place for um, World War One people that come back from World War One. You know, like uh, soldiers that were really disfigured. Mm. Um, they were looked after in there as well. So a lot of macabre things happened there. Mm. But the weirdest thing is we had a lot of mischievous children spirits there um, because we were doing this seance around the table, and this man started laughing really hysterically mm. it's like a it's like a middle-aged man it's like a, ha, 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 like the joke like like the joker from the 60s batman that kind of laugh uh, you say, you're saying this was he this said, was actually a real person or, or this was just a disembodied this voice. is a real person this is a real person right yeah. so there was somebody I, at, I, the, at the seance who was laughing did we know yeah he was laughing i said to him you okay he said something's trying to pull my shoes off all right and my shoes and i heard these shoes slide under the table and i thought it's a bit strange so i said you know just stay still it's okay and then this woman she started giggling as well she goes they're trying to pull my shoes off too <laughs> Um, so her shoe slid across the, the t under the table, and then a third person said the same thing. I heard these shoes sliding there. Mm. One woman, she sort of screamed, stood up, and broke the circle. Um, because she was trying to pull my shoes off. I'm not having it, she said. And as she did that, there was a, a bang, like a gunshot, a massive bang sound, you know. So I took this woman outside. I said, you're okay. You know, you need to calm down, you know, and to, to relax. She said, I'm fine, she said, you know. Um, anyway, I rejoined the circle. We continued with the seance and everything was fine. At the end, we looked on the table and there was these shoes under the table. It's mm -hmm. a massive table. So, you know, there's no way you could have slid them that far, you know. Um, which we believe it's a mischievous child spirit, you know. Um, when we cleared up and went, everyone had gone home after that had happened. I thought, I wonder what this bang was. I thought something had smashed or broken or fallen over, you know. I looked around the room. I couldn't find anything. Um, but I did found a wooden chair, which had been like even chopped in half with an axe. Mm. It's a very clean cut in half, and that was what that was what the bang was. Mm. How that happened, I don't know, but that was very strange. So when you you were doing these seances, obviously you, you were very experienced. You know what you're doing. You've you know you've done so many seances over the years. Yeah, but, that you can you can you know how to handle these situations. But I mean, what what if somebody just you know said, "Let's have a seance tonight." Somebody you know some friends. Would you? I mean, is it is it is it a sensible thing to do? Could people, you know, could people actually get really seriously scared or or, or do something that is just, you know, something that a, a professional like you would never allow? I'm just wondering, is 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 this something that's? I mean, it's like you know, yeah. Dennis, Dennis Wheatley always used to say at the beginning of his books, didn't he? I always give this warning about you know, do not meddle in this yeah. sort of stuff. Is that something that, that people people need to, to think about before they do that? Could they get into into deeper water than they're expecting? Well, they can do because I mean, for certain reasons. I mean, when I do these public events, there's a lot of people who are scared about things. Oh, are they going to follow me home? Mm. Um, is somebody going to chat themselves to me? You know, this kind of, oh, am I going to get possessed? Well, that kind of thing. You do get people getting very hysterical. Mm. Um, but I always say to them, look, you know, they're not going to follow you home. The spirits live in this 
building you know this is where they're from and all the equipment used tonight is mine so if there's mm. anyone they're going to follow it's going to be me mm. um but people's imaginations can make things they can disturb people mm. you know so you have to be very careful who does us i don't allow children into them or people and i do put warnings about people that have got a nervous disposition or a health condition do you know what mm. i mean because it's up to mm. them if they're you know if people are disturbed what i would say to people when they want to do it in their own home in their in their living room like a Ouija board, I advise them not to. The reason why is not the fact they may unleash anything, but if you get a spirit come through, um, you're sitting there in candlelight, you're on a Ouija board, some spirit comes through, you've talked mm. to someone from 200 years ago, the next night you've got to sit in that same room and watch the TV and have your dinner, mm. you know, and it can change the atmosphere of the room, even if mm. you're just thinking about it or worrying about it too much, you mm. know, it, it can become psychological where you become scared by it. Yeah. Um, so doing it in your own home can have that kind of effect is what I sense here. Yeah. Um, and also you can get, if you do contact someone, they can stick around you know they can you can get ghosts i mean i've, I've actually been to houses before to get rid of things before or, or coax them out um because things do if you're friendly towards them they can stick around i don't sense the many i've not experienced any that have caused that much trouble to be mm. fair but it's also how you deal with it and what your view is on it if someone's experienced with ghosts and spirits they're not going to be really bothered by it yeah you know um it's the same as if someone's a fireman and he goes to a building and sees a child body you know he's not he's not going to be that shocked because he sees it every day but i guess, I guess someone... a lot of people can can do this say let's you know let's get a ouija board or do something thinking it's just going to be fun and then yeah. something happens or some message comes through or something and you know could, could quite upset somebody i suppose <coughs> oh or it can i mean the same way you get i mean when you think about how much the human race likes to to, to do pranks and you get mm. trolls on the internet and you look at twitter how many people are abusing people and winding people up mm. spirits the same because they're people you know so you mm. if, if, if a group of teenagers that are drunk go on a ouija board a spirit comes through you might think i'll wind them up i'll tell them you're going to die tonight you know just for mm. a laugh and mm. it's probably you know it's just just mucking around mm. um and you know if i get that if i do a sounds and, they, and they, they spell stuff like you're going to die i just say don't be stupid don't don't try any pranks just talk sensibly otherwise someone else can come through i'm quite bossy with them you know and then they, t they tend to say sorry and stop you know what i mean yeah. but they if they think they can wind you up you know if you get a mischievous person through like you would a human being if they want to wind you up and joke around they will yeah. you know some some have come through and they talk in a very serious way and, and you get if you get some mischievous person who wants to think i oh, will wind them up we tell them they're going to die or something like this or yeah th they will do that you know mm. and you just tell them to shut up and not be so silly um and that's that tends to scare people because it's the unknown anything that's unknown is scary but when it becomes unknown it's no longer frightening mm. Right, so so people in general, unless you've got somebody like Freddie who knows what they're doing, think twice before trying this at home. Thanks for talking to us, uh, to us again, Freddie. Uh, as, as always, fascinating. Um, remind us again where people can find your own podcast. Yeah, it's at www.themysticmenagerie.com, Mystic Menagerie, or you can go on iTunes and look for The Mystic Menagerie. And so more, more uh, psychic, strange and weird things with Freddie Valentine at The Mystic Menagerie. Talk again soon, Freddie. Thanks very much. You're Wildest Britain is a dark neon production written and presented by Hugh Collingbourne, psychic consultant Lord Freddie Valentine, music by Jason Shaw at audionautics.com. If you want to contact the show, write to me, Hugh Collingbourne, at hughcoll at gmail.com. That's H-U-W-C-O-L at gmail.com. And to be sure never to miss an episode, remember to subscribe to the podcast. <laughs>